0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo around how predictive capabilities are utilized and delivered to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I have such an interesting quote for you. I found it on Forbes.com. And the author of the quote, and I hope I'm pronouncing their name right, uh, Juan X-U-A-N, Liao. L-I-A-O, VP of Marketing at a company called Everpace Robotic Process Automation Services. Listen up to the quote. This will set the stage for our topic today. Here's the buzz. The Beatles saved the world from boredom. I laughed when I read that. Can a cutting-edge technology known as robotic process automation, RPA, do the same for the workplace and take the robot out of the human based on more than 50 RPA early organizational adopters who the author has interviewed? The answer is yes. Okay, so now you have an idea of what we're talking about today. Let's get a reality check. Those of you who are listeners all over the world, I want you to think, think deep, look in the mirror if you have to, no matter how hard working or efficient you are in your job, come on, admit it, there are still some tasks you say, I wish this could be done automatically. Do I really need to do this busy work? Do I really need to spend my time and my brain power on this? Okay, well, that's the reality check. We know the answer is probably yes for most of us. Now let's look at it from the business side rather than the worker side rather than. Can businesses benefit from using machine learning? to automate these basic tasks across all of their applications? Well, the good news is yes. The question on the table is, how, and I already gave you a clue, RPA, get used to those three letters. We're probably going to drop them a lot during the next hour. Robotic process automation. It's a promising technology that can do what we're talking about. Remove manual steps from daily tasks. And the result, drive efficiency and give people the extra time for what we're just going to call the human-suited demanding projects. So is your company on board yet? If you're an employee of a company, are you ready to tell them you need RPA to help you do your job better? Well, we have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back a returning panelist. He's been on some of our other Game Changer series. It's Sean Broderson, Global CTO of the SAP Practice at HCL Technologies. Joining him are two newcomers. We have Philippe Pooks, and I'll spell the last name so you can find him online, P-O-U-X. He's the general manager at a company called Contextor, C-O-N-T-E-X-T-O-R, and he'll tell us all about what they do. And rounding out the panel is another newcomer. He is David Judge, vice president of SAP Leonardo and Analytics and the solution owner for SAP Intelligent Process Automation at SAP, my colleagues. So welcome to our panelists. Sean Brodison, you're up first, and Sean has sent us a quote from Socrates. But before all of you think, oh really, dredging up a quote from an old philosopher, not exactly. Socrates is a character in Dan Millman's groundbreaking 1980 novel called Way of a Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives. Look it up. It's part fictional, part autobiographical. It's based on Dan Millman's own early life. Apparently he was Uh, what was he he was a gymnast I believe world world world-class gymnast so go look it up here's the quote the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old but on building the new Sean Broderson how have you been Uh, very good Bonnie how about yourself well, thank you. You're very kind to ask. I'm very well, and I'm happy to have you back. And I was very intrigued looking up the background of this story. Apparently, there's a spiritual journey, and the author, in the terms of the persona of the character, uh, he met an attendant at an all-night gas station who became his mentor, and hence the term Socrates, based on the reference to the ancient Socrates. How in the world did you find this book? And tell us how this quote relates to our topic, Sean.
2: Somebody had uh, had referenced it uh, to me, so it was on recommendation. I can't take credit for finding it, my you know myself, but uh, but but I I like uh, the story, and I think it's akin to the journey that enterprises uh, are faced with uh, today, um, and and generally the human nature. I don't think is conditioned to high levels of. Of change to be comfortable with that. Some more than others, of course, but mm-hmm. um, the, the world that we live in today, enterprises and, and that technology space, change is really the only constant. And if you look at things like the hype cycle, you know, it's loaded with new and maturing technologies. I think really for the advancement and survival of our respective businesses, we need to embrace change. And uh, today's topic has got a lot to do with new technologies and automation um, in general. And so I thought that this quote was uh, very appropriate to reflect that journey we all need to go on.
1: Thank you. And I think it's very exciting. And I have to give you credit, Sean, because you brought me the quote. So I don't care where you found it originally. You put it in the deck I sent you. You said, hey, Bonnie, this is the quote I want to use today. So I give you all the credit in the world. Have you read Way of a Peaceful Warrior? Are familiar with the book? Or should we all put it on our holiday reading list?
2: (laughs) I, I confess, I have not finished uh, the book, but uh, I do recommend it to be on the uh, on the reading list for for those that enjoy reading. I, uh, it's a bad habit. I actually start lots of books. I spend a great deal uh, of time on on planes, and uh, I don't I, I don't finish probably a great percentage of those books. And uh, I usually get about eighty percent of the way through them for some reason.
1: Oh, that's funny. Well, I think it's because we're all distracted, and it's funny, funny comment from you, Sean, because reading should be one of the things. We, we would prefer that machines take over the mundane tasks in our jobs, in our daily lives, so we have more time for reading, which is a higher human power. Am I right on that one?
2: Absolutely. That's a, that's a great segue. <laughs> Thank you
1: very much. I do my best. I appreciate it. Let's move on to our next guest. We'll find out a lot more. We'll catch back up with Sean in a few minutes and find out what he's been up to. And now Philippe Pooks, P O U X, as I said, a contextor. And Philippe has sent us a quote from somebody I've never heard of either. Alexandra Vialat, V-I-A-L-A-T-T-E. And the book is Dernier Nouvelle de l'Homme, nineteen seventy-eight, and the translation is Latest News of the Man. Vialat was was a writer, a literary critic, and a French translator. Very, very interesting. Apparently, he started out loving drawing and calligraphy, poetry, along with exercise, swimming, horseback riding, and sports. And then they discovered he was very good at math, so they sent him to a military career. He became friends with the brothers Paul and Henri Pourrat, and uh, he became a mentor to them in literature. So that's all I know about him. Uh, let's see. The Alexandre Violet Prize was created in 1991 to reward a French-speaking writer whose writing elegance and vivacity of spirit, oh, I love that, are a source of pleasure for the reading. And I don't know if you know this, Philippe, but Best Western Hotels have a plus hotel or a plus hotel littéraire, Alexandre Violette. So they named it in the center city of Clermont-Ferrand near the historic quarter. Okay, Bonnie, get to the quote already. Here we go. Quote, Man is only dust, that is to say, the importance of a feather duster. Bienvenue, Philippe Pux Comment ça va?
3: Je vais très bien. Hello, everyone.
1: (laughs) Good. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm I'm assuming that they can translate that much. Now we have to revert to English. That's my better language. I need you to come a little bit closer to, to the speaker on your headset, Philippe. Tell me how you found this quote. I found it fascinating. Go ahead. Oh, if you hear me well now, much better, so, much better, much better. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Ah, oh,
3: it's a, it's a pleasure to be in Paris and uh, and to be able to say Alexandre Vialat with a good accent. Uh, Thank you. And <laughs> I'm pleased to to uh, <clears throat> to teach you some about Alexandre Vialat because it's my one of my favorite writers. He he, he was so smart. He was able to to write some sentences that contains everything. And when you read it, let's say, man is only dust. Uh, that's to say that the importance of the feather duster, it, it says everything about the, the small part man is with the universe, but also the importance of man. And because we are speaking about robots and many of that things, it's mm-hmm. important to see that man is really important.
1: I like that. You know, feather duster, it's such an old-fashioned concept. I actually have one here in my house because when I don't want to dust very thoroughly, I just kind of move the dust around with the feather duster. I'm admitting some of my housekeeping lackings here. I'm sorry about that, Philippe. Uh, Philippe, when we think about replacing certain human skills, and I've talked about this topic with many panelists on many of our game changer shows, you know, it always brings up the question, will I be replaced in my job by a robot or by some application, some app, something that apparently is better at these tasks than I am, smarter at these tasks, or just somebody who's willing to do the, you know, the low level work, but what will happen to me? Any thoughts about the so called elevation of people I was talking to Sean about freeing us up to do more interesting things like reading. What happens if people aren't prepared to do those higher-level tasks? you have a thought on that, Philippe?
3: Yeah, uh, I I agree with Sean. Uh, We will have more time for reading. And I, I think it's not only a question of replacing jobs, but transforming jobs. You know, before, people were working hard many hours a day, many days a week, and now we are working less. And probably Mm -hmm. we can work less and less with less repetitive and and annoying tasks and doing more interesting things. You know, if you think about a call center, many times they have to do many Mm -hmm. repetitive tasks and they forget to speak with you. And what you need is somebody that speaks with you, not somebody that is uh, forced to click in, in many many applications, you you need attention, you need empathy, you you need somebody that work with you, discuss with you, negotiate with you, understand you, and if we if we do that well, we will just transform work and jobs, not mm-hmm. replace it.
1: Thank you. I, I like like you. I like that optimism. I like that optimism. We're gonna. Pick on you a little bit more as we go on And we're going to try and keep this very optimistic Thank you, Philippe. Welcome again Happy to know you. David Judge Waiting Patiently. David, about a week ago I had a guest on and I said Bob was waiting Patiently and when I got to him He said, how do you know whether I'm patient or Not? And I said <laughs> I will never okay. I will never say that again But darn, I just did David Judge, SAP Leonardo David has sent us a wonderful quote. He wasn't sure whether To use this one, but I told him we hadn't Had this quote on the show in several years by William Gibson. William Ford Gibson, he's still with us, 1948. David, I consider him very young. He's an American-Canadian speculative fiction writer and essayist, widely credited with pioneering the science fiction subgenre, not the genre, but below that, the subgenre, or as Philippe would say, the sous-genre, known as cyberpunk. I'll just leave that alone, and here is the quote. The future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Love the quote, David Judge. How are you today?
4: I am doing fantastic.
1: Thanks, honey. I'm v- very, very glad to have you. We like people who are doing fantastic on the show. So, talk to me about this quote. What part of the future is here? What are we looking for that didn't get here yet, and who is getting this uneven distribution? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing that's very fascinating about this, and by the way, it's one of the reasons why I chose William Gibson is because I'm an unrepentant science fiction nerd, so the ability to um, uh, to read about the future is something I've always been very fascinated about, and I think I shared with you earlier it's one of the great pleasures in my life that I get to think about some of these things professionally now. Mm-hmm. And so as we start to think about you know where we already have amazing, almost unbelievable technologies now in fact we're using some of them just on a smartphone at, at the present moment. And so the idea here is, is that we have technologies and capabilities now that are being leveraged in certain places, but we've only begun to really start to see how far and wide those technologies might even stretch to, uh, to impact. Um, so certainly, you know, those of us that are living in Western worlds, we've been living with wonderful technologies, and now the rest of the world is starting to use some of these technologies to greater degrees as well, and actually, in fact, freeing up, in fact, skipping some of the intermediate steps that we had taken in the Western world. I think this is true of enterprises as well, where uh, certainly we read more than enough in the press about some of Mm -hmm. our Silicon Valley brethren that are going and creating startups and doing these interesting disruptive things, quote unquote disruptive. And now we're starting to see uh, broader industries and uh, other types of companies starting to leverage these same capabilities and benefits. So taking it from the small pocket, this shiny example, and now starting to spread it out to many places that we may have previously not thought possible.
1: Very interesting. Do you think, David, that that future will come, referencing my question a moment ago to Philippe, do you think that when people say, wow, I don't have to do that boring, repetitive, basic, everyday, menial, manual work. Now I have the opportunity. You think the light bulb will go off, David? They'll say, I have the opportunity. Let me see what my company will give me in terms of credits toward training. Or will they send me to a local adult ed program or to a community college? Or do they have online training? Or can I get gamification training here at work and learn something new that will boost me up in terms of maybe my self-esteem, my ability to earn more, my ability to make a better contribution to the company? Do you think that that light bulb will go off and that will help to spread the future? I'm stretching this a little bit, but, but indulge me, please, Mr. Judge. Go ahead. You no, know, I, I, I think
4: it's by, by the very nature of it, it's required almost. So if we think about the changing nature of work that had been mentioned previously, the, the, the work doesn't we found already doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. What it does is it changes its form. So the question is, is the human mind better attuned to do the same repetitive task over and over again, uh, tighten the same bolt endlessly inside of these systems? Probably not. What are we very good at? Quite skilled at creativity. We already know this. We're quite skilled at lateral thinking. We already know this. Uh, We're very good at working with other people. We already know Mm -hmm. this. So, uh, you know, machines so far have a terrible track record of empathy, uh, but people can actually do this. And so I think that it's fascinating that, um, you know, we just uh, read a recent statistic that uh, in the United States now alone, this isn't a future projection, by the way, there is already presently a shortage of 150,000 data scientists. We have too few people that are able to do some of this work that will actually spread that future. And so I think it's incumbent upon those individuals as well as businesses to help try to Bring people towards the type of activities that are going to provide the future value, rather than doing this mindless drudgery that I don't think anybody wants to do. So I think it's both individual business and even potentially broader than that. The responsibility lies upon society to be able to help make this shift.
1: Thank you. I have a, a novel question. I'm going to go around the table quickly before I ask where each of where you are. What you love to drink, maybe looking at the holiday drinks you have on tap or in the in the fridge somewhere, and what you do. And my question is: uh, Let me start with you, Sean Broderson. If we put off put these menial, boring, repetitive tasks onto RPA, robotic systems, robots, bots, whatever you want to call them, things that are enabled by intelligent machine learning let's just say that do you think the time will come in the future when they will rise up and say this is too boring for me what do you think sean
2: (laughs) Uh, let me make sure that i understood that question right You think the machines may rise up and say that uh, the the tasks that they've been doing are too boring yes Did did i get that
3: right yes you did yes
2: um, no, I, I don't, I don't suspect that's going to happen anytime in, uh, certainly not in my in my lifetime. I mean, I, uh, that would, I think that would require a, a level of, uh, of a, a, a spirit, I suppose, outside of one's known existence. And the computer only knows what uh, the computer has been taught or taught how to learn. And so I, I don't suspect that computers, uh, much like robots on the manufacturing floor for the last 20 mm. years uh, have not risen up and said, I'm, I'm tired of uh, you know, <laughs> assembling this car. I don't suppose that uh, robots are going to get tired of, of doing uh, th- the, the work that's assigned to them now.
1: Thank you. It'd just be interesting to see what a human might put a little bit of a twist in the programming of a robot where they do, because it all comes from us anyway. Philippe Pooks, what do you think? Do you think the robots will somehow get that sense that they are being underutilized with Boring? task? What's your thought?
3: Uh, I'm sure the robots will do the boring task. But then I I also agree with Sean. I'm not sure I will see uh, any bot really, really intelligent in my lifetime. But if it, uh, if it appears, I'd like to cooperate with. Because, you know, we, we don't like to work alone. So if I'm able to speak with an intelligent computer, uh, if I can uh find new ideas discussing with an intelligent computer i say why not why not what the difference between having a, a colleague that is human or uh, that is a robot one
1: okay very interesting is- i i wonder there's a, a lot to wonder about we will get to our specific topic in a minute but i'm just fascinated with this david judge what do you think
4: Oh, I, I think that they, uh, the, thankfully, the, the idea of a sentient robot is very far away. Although I think we're all, you know, again, back to my science fiction nerdery, I think that that's been a, a preoccupation and a fascination for people for a long time. We've wanted to speak to our machines. We've wanted our machines to understand us. Mm-hmm. we wanted them to imbue them with some semblance of, I think, what Sean said, sort of this spirit amongst them to actually be like this. Uh, but we know now with the technologies that we presently have, and even the trajectory we're on, that we're potentially quite far away from that. You know, it just goes back to um, I saw this great image, one of these uh, roving security robots um, that was uh, asked to be able to try to sort of identify people that were doing bad behavior inside of a mall context or something of this sort. And someone took a picture of it when it had dived headlong into the mall pond uh, as it was bent over, sort of shooting sparks out of the way. And sort of the, the security guards that were there were sort of chuckling about this, the human security guards. So I think, I think we're very far off from, from being threatened in that way.
1: I remember that news story. I quoted it on the show, I think. By the way, I'm looking here at uh, we WeForum, dot org, and it says, are we at risk of boring ourselves to death? Less than 5% of occupations are 100% automatable, according to estimates, but 30% of the work involved in most jobs could be carried out by machines. For the overworked employee, a reduced workload sounds attractive. A roboticized future in which humans are on Perfect va- permanent vacation might be idyllic. Uh, we'll just leave that one alone. I was just looking up to see if there were any articles. Um, let's see. Robots, the ideal workers. This was antiscola.eu back in. I don't know when this was written for many jobs. A robot is much better than a human operative. Once it has been programmed, it will do its job over and over again. It never gets board so there we go i guess this article agrees with my panelists sean brodison you're up first you know the drill so let's lead with you sean where in the world are you today city state or country we don't need the google coordinates to the roof of wherever you are thank you very much and what's your favorite beverage maybe something for the holidays to intrigue us and celebrate along with you and number three tell us what have you been up to at hcl technology go ahead
2: uh, well, I'm home in wonderful Columbia, South Carolina, and um, uh, today, uh, in, uh, actually sitting in front of me, I have black tea with Tupelo honey, which is mm. not very festive, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> I have a bit of a sore throat, and, uh, oh. and I, I happen to love this drink. Tupelo honey is actually a unique honey you can only get from, uh, from the blossoms of white Ogeechee Tupelo trees in the swamps of Georgia and Florida. So, it's very, uh, actually, very hard to find and has a very unique uh, flavor to it. And uh, uh, my entire family really quite enjoys this honey. We, we, we buy it every Christmas. And so, that's the tie into the holidays. It's uh, one of the Christmas gifts the family gets.
1: Very nice. There was a, a, there's a video of Van Morrison. I think it's a song, Tupelo Honey. Yes, I'm seeing some videos here on YouTube, all the way back. And there's a Tupelo Honey Cafe as well, where you can even order food online. And Tupelo Honey at the Savannah Bee Company, SavannahBee.com. And what are you up to at HCL Technologies, Sean?
2: Well, since the last time we've chatted, um, I've been all over the country and uh, uh, all over the world, really, um, both in and, uh, in Europe and uh, in India and uh, some of the places in, in A and Z, and uh, we're really talking about things like the topics today, right? We, we are trying to have conversations with the enterprises mm-hmm. about... How they can apply the, the technologies and the trends that we're seeing in terms of you know cloud native um, uh, technologies, intelligent technologies that are primarily delivered through the through the cloud, uh, different ways to work, whether it's uh, design thinking or bringing agile into uh, enterprise applications, or it is uh, DevOps. Um, you know, we're really going through uh, a series of changes. Uh, for the for the enterprise and everybody's asking how do i tackle this and so my job uh, quite delightfully is to think about these uh, these changes and where technology is going and then help uh, our customers um, apply that in a, in a reasonable fashion and uh the task is is, is enormous uh, the the level and the pace of mm-hmm. change um, is something that uh, I don't think I don't think we've ever seen, and I don't think that it's going to back back down either. I think I think the level of change and technology advancement is going to continue. Um, David mentioned earlier that you know some some of uh, some places in the world are actually leapfrogging those middle steps because not only has the technology advanced so far, but the ability to consume and adopt that technology has as well. So if we as humans and enterprises can get our minds around accepting change, back to the quote that we discussed earlier, um, then we can make some of those pretty progressive uh jumps and uh and, and really transform our businesses.
1: Thank you, Sean. That that puts some pressure on the concept of organizations having a change management process, doesn't it? Hey, Bob. Hey, Mary. Hey, Sue. Hey, Jim. We're changing your job. Oh, it'll be good for you, but you got to get on board because this is the way the company is moving. I think it's a whole new discussion with all this automation coming in. And as, as I spoke with the three of you about the fear of being replaced rather than the higher level, we're going to be augmented and improved. Let's move on. Thank you very much, Sean. Pleasure to have you back. Philippe Pooks at Context three questions. Where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink at this time of the year, Philippe? And what is Contextor and what do you do there? Go ahead.
3: Uh, I'm uh, in a town called Paris. Uh, you know, many people <laughs> love to, to live in Paris and I am happy to, to be there. And uh, to, to answer about the drink, uh, because it's night now, I'm sipping a very good wine. It's not very uh, strange for a French guy, but the strange thing is I'm sipping an Armenian wine. And I don't oh. know if, you, if you're aware of that, but uh, the wine was created first in Armenia. It was 6,000 years ago. I have discovered that some, some years ago myself. And uh, just now I'm, I'm drinking a very, very good wine uh, made from areni. And the, the, the people explained to me that areni was the first ever grape to be transformed into wine hmm so the this bottle is not so old that uh but the grape is really really old uh and it's it's really fun to drink a wine that that comes from the ancient ages and uh, probably the wine that was uh, explained in the bible uh you remember when uh, yes when the, the 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 noah's ark uh Finish his trip. He first go down in the hills and discovered some grapes and uh, and tried to drink it. It was the first time wine was mentioned in a in a book,
1: hmm.
3: and it was in Armenia. Strange.
1: Fascinating. I, I looked this up, uh, Philippe, on, I googled it, I'm on Wikipedia, and it says uh, Armenian wine is made in Armenia in the region of South Caucasus, and it says Armenia is one of the oldest wine-producing regions of the world. Just wanted to put that yeah. in there. So go ahead, tell me, what do you do? What is contextor? What is your company about?
3: Uh, you don't pro- we don't provide wine, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we provide kind of <laughs>
1: Touché. <laughs> it's, a, it's a
3: different kind of happiness. Uh, I'm, I'm really fond of uh, what I'm doing now because, you know, the main problem with technology is uh, that many times it brings some annoying things to people. And with uh, the RPA, what I see is we are providing technology that really brings happiness to people. Because we, we help them to get rid of annoying things, repetitive tasks. So they, they always appreciate our moves. And um, we, before, you were talking about change management. Mm-hmm. What is really interesting with RPA, we don't have change management. We don't have to explain people how it works now. Because we just say, you remember, before you were forced to do that and that and that and click there and click there. And we just say, now just click on that button, and the robot will do the job.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: No change management. Easy.
1: I like that. So, I like that. I like that a lot. So how did the name, when did Contextor when was the company started, and, um, and where? Is it based in Paris?
3: Uh, in the south of Paris, a uh, small town called, called Orsay. You probably know because there is also a museum of Orsay in the center of Pipe, mm-hmm. or sure. the city in the south of Paris, And it uh, it begins 18 years ago around many ideas about uh, screen management, desktop management, but then it evolves towards automatic, uh, automation of process because we discovered that uh, managing the screen for people that work in large companies uh, was really important, but automating some repetitive tasks was really uh, trendy. And we are really happy because some years ago, uh, a large study company created the RPA acronym. And now we, we really have a market because before we were explaining that to people, we need to to teach them it was existing. Now, they all ask us for RPA because they know it exists.
1: Thank you very much, Philippe. Pleasure to get to know you. And Mr. David Judge, we're ready for you. Three same questions. Where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink approaching the holidays? And what do you do? What's your role?
4: Where am I? Um, I I ask (laughs) that question often of myself. Um, (laughs) I am in uh I'm in New David, York City David, in, in 7 home.
1: years of radio nobody has ever said that back to me and I love it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Bye> <laughs> I deserve that novelty. one. Go ahead. <laughs> um
4: so I'm in New York City. I'm actually in a in a private room right now inside of the AI Summit which is ongoing at the Javits Center here. So Okay. Oh, I know cold, it very well, the Javits quite, Center. It's uh, quite sunny and we've got a lot of interesting things happening right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um and what's my drink? Uh so I really, first of all, I'm an I'm an omnivore about drinking, so I I wouldn't say that my choice would be nearly as romantic as uh, as Philippe. So hats <laughs> off to the Armenians. Thank you for wine. We love it. Um, my drink is uh, I, I like drinks that are self explanatory. So if I go out to a to a bar or to a restaurant, uh, there's no confusion. It's not some you know. Uh, some complicated cocktail. Uh, I am a big rye whiskey drinker, so one mm-hmm. of my favorites is Sazerac. And I like uh, a healthy pour of that on top of a couple of large ice cubes with a dash of bitters. And that keeps me warm at night. And,
1: and then, tell uh, me, how do you spell Sazerac? Is it S A Z E R A C? Is that the one I'm looking at? A New Orleans variation uh, of a cognac or whiskey cocktail named for Sazerac de Forge et Fils, brand of cognac brandy, yeah. or am I looking at the wrong thing?
4: That would be the drink of the Sazerac, although there okay. is also a rye whiskey called the Sazerac as well. Yes. Um I got which it. Which is one of my favorites. Again, nothing uh nothing too too ostentatious or crazy. It just uh, seems to go down quite nicely for me.
1: I got it. Thank you. If it's brown, drink it down. And okay, and <laughs> tell me what you do. <laughs>
4: I work for SAP, so I'm focused on many of these innovation technologies that we've sort of danced around a little bit in this call. So um, I am focused on uh, machine learning, uh, conversational AI, and now on robotic process automation and how all of those things come together to do some very interesting things. I also spent a lot of uh, spend a lot of time with customers to help them uh, to understand these technologies and ultimately also to help them to adopt them. So I've had a background in, in consulting and doing these types of work. And so it's it's super fascinating to me because now as we start to look at how enterprises are looking to transform themselves, how can we take this this big thirty thousand foot view cosmic idea of artificial intelligence and to be able to bring it down into something that's pragmatic that we can actually start to consume and start to change businesses with? And so those three things uh, are certainly of the uh, top of mind for uh, certainly the audience that I just had here at the AI Summit, but also. Um, largely every enterprise that we've spoken to to date.
1: Thank you very much. Fascinating. And uh, you know what, Sean? I'm, I'm going to surprise you. We're, we're running way deep into our time here. I'm not going to take a break, but I'm looking at your notes, Sean. Usually we go off air for 90 seconds and the first panelist joins me in picking out our first topic for the roundtable. We've already been deep into our roundtable, but Sean, I'm looking at your notes here and and let's do talk about the business case. I think this was your third comment to me. You say the business case for automation is hugely attractive. It's estimated that if enterprises can automate 50 to 60% of their manual activities, that's a lot. They can achieve 20 to 35% in run rate efficiencies and 50 to 60% reduction in processing time. Could you give us a little expansion on this? please, Sean, and talk about pragmatic AI and then we will bring in your co panelists to have them comment on it. Go ahead, Sean.
2: Well I think yes, thank you. So I think um you know Bonnie that was in the in the context of, you know, what what's the benefit and how do we mm-hmm. how do we identify that? And it it was both in the um the potential that it holds, the 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 promise, but also the difficulty um in continuing to Retrieve that benefit, um, and so I think you know these numbers. When we think about, if we think about technologies like, and uh, probably everybody is, is somewhat familiar with the duplex uh, demo that that Google gave, right? Um, you know that that is a perfect example. anybody can go out and Google the uh, you know the video if they've not, if they've not seen it. That is a perfect example of the kind of, of how these technologies come together to produce the kind of transformational change that drives the efficiencies here for things like uh, service desk, as, a, as, as an example, right? And the kind of disruption that you're going to see in enter- enterprise uh, processes. Um, you know, if this, then that, right? If, if mm-hmm. you can write down if you do this, then do that in a series of steps. And for those of us that have been business process consultants, process mapping is nothing but that. Uh, then it has the, uh, the ability to be automated. And the more these technologies uh, advance, the more we can put this thread through it so that you can create a resiliency and attractiveness to creating those, uh, those, those benefits that were discussed. And I like what what David uh, said, and uh, and it's something that we can expand upon it in terms of bringing all the cosmic AI and the and this and the set of technologies together uh, for pragmatic change for the you know for the enterprise. I think about uh, not just RPA and machine learning uh, like uh, like service ticket intelligence kinds of uh, mm-hmm. functionality, um, but natural language processing combined with user-defined uh, channels. You know, I mean, who thought a couple of years ago that WhatsApp is a way that somebody would contact an enterprise to get uh, service on, you know, uh, for for whatever product they may have, or that uh, email would uh, be replaced in some firms by Slack, and so now you communicate with your IT service desk uh, through Slack channels and and such. Uh, so user-defined channels and the ability to have any of those channels come into an NLP engine and to decipher what that means and then to route that through an intelligent fabric out to uh, the, the correct script, the correct RPA, the correct machine, the correct intelligence to learn from and, and create this persistent learning environment from what um, the user is, is asking for. Um, combined with an intelligent workflow, that allows you to look at you know, how, do I, how do I ask for one thing and then realize that you know, my brain is wired to go A to Z across many different routes actually, right? And it's intuitive to me, but I need to teach a computer how to do that. And that some of those steps and some of those exception paths, there may be a, a workflow that I need to stop and pause and then maybe I need to pick up a different script, a different automation script. That Continues on from where I started, not the original intent, but because of this disruption. You know, these are the the kinds of challenges that we that we're looking at to create self healing uh, systems, to create um, you know preventative systems where we look at business process monitoring or business process mining and reporting tools and technologies that will that will not. Wait for a user to call and say, hey, I'm having a challenge with this business process, but in, you know, where's my purchase order? Why is my sales order stuck? Whatever, but for the system mm-hmm. to know that there is a, a problem go into that same routine that we just talked about, with that same set of technologies between you know RPA and machine learning and natural language processing and so on and so forth, and, uh, and, and, look, for, and look for the answer. And so all of those things, you can see the potential that it has to create enormous business benefits. I, th- I think the early stages of this currently are focused on the low-hanging, highly repetitive um, use cases, and, and there certainly is value there. But if you want to achieve the big numbers then you have to go beyond that. And and that that requires um, a, a certain level of competency, forethought, and uh, and effort to get there.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting start to this part of our show. Philippe Pooks at Contextor, please join us. Thoughts on what Mr. Broderson just shared. Go ahead, Philippe.
3: Uh, yes, uh, partly. Um, and I really agree with Sean uh, and also with David. Uh, you remember, you you said I was optimistic, and I think I'm not really optimistic. I'm realistic, or as David said, I'm pragmatic. And I, I see that things are evolving the in, in a good way now, because uh, we always re- forget that before it was more difficult to do many, many things, many tasks, and uh, we don't have to be afraid about uh, progress because it always brings uh, really Im- good improvement in our jobs. Uh, as an example, you, you know, you, we all use smartphones. We don't use any more uh, phone booths in the streets when we need to have a call. And nobody wonders about the phone booth manufacturers. They disappeared. And it's it's um, it's probably a good thing because we we don't need them, but also uh, it, it was really difficult to find a phone booth, uh, have a, a credit card with uh, with uh, to to be able to to launch a phone at that time. So I'm really happy the, of that development.
1: Thank you very much, David Judge to get your thoughts on this business case? Are, are the numbers really clear? Are they really an advantage? Are we really that far along and making it worthwhile to, to do this part of the change of automation?
4: Oh, I think yeah, I think the business case is so strong around many of these technologies that it can sometimes lead people to um, rush almost too quickly into it I mean the business case mm. if we can I think you'd mentioned the statistics before it's just so blindingly yeah. clear that, that um, we know that if we can reduce that manual activity that we can, in fact, make the workforce happier because they're no longer needing to do this super manual work. Um, but we're also returning cost to the business. And the fascinating thing here for me is, is that there's sort of two different paths that a company can take. So one is certainly to optimize. I think that's imperative, particularly with businesses that already have businesses to run. So we're not talking about these digital-first startups that, uh, are of course, are already going to use these technologies. They don't need to retrofit an existing process. So first, let's you know transform these existing processes and actually reevaluate those processes, too. Um, a quote that I was toying with before uh, that I almost used was something that Peter Drucker had said. He said, there's nothing so useless as doing something efficiently that shouldn't be done at all. And so the idea here is, is, do, is, let's take the time to take a look at our processes, let's certainly automate them, let's certainly get those efficiencies into the business, but also then what? What do we do with those dollars? So I think that the most effective use in the businesses that we've seen that have been the most effective have used some of that freed up capital, used some of that freed up human mind to be able to focus on how we could do things differently with customers, how we might change the front of the house uh, and to service them more effectively. You know, I don't think that I've ever, to Sean's point before, ever interacted with a uh, an IVR system, uh, you know, calling into an airline or something of this sort and mm-hmm. been happy with it. That's, that's viewed as automation as well. But is it good? Is it actually a better customer experience? Arguable. Yeah. Um, so what could we do along the lines of something like a conversational interface to be able to reduce that burden, uh, both on the contact center, the people that are feeling that call? but also to make me as a consumer or a customer feel uh, unique and best served by this business. Um, So this is, this is something that, that fascinates me endlessly.
1: I I agree. You know, there's so many levels of companies being responsive. We all talk about customer experience. We talk about companies being responsible, responsive. We talk about personalization. We want it now. We want it made for me. We want it when we want it. We want to change the the whole supply chain process, the manufacturing process. Take a big machine instead of making two million of something, make just one for David Judge or for Philippe Pooks or for Sean Broderson, and then go back to making yeah. your two million for the masses. Exactly. We all want that, but I'm I'm seeing just from a consumer point of view that as a consumer, businesses are not responsive. What are their, I think they need more automation. For example, I have a a small company here in Durham where they keep sending me email reminders to contact them and I respond to the email. Yes, you have my phone number, call me and I want to make an appointment. I've been doing this for two months and they haven't called me. Bottom line is I really don't want to go to the dentist, but anyway, the point is that I keep saying to them, yes, I'm ready. Nobody is reading those emails. No automated system is in place. I was toying with the idea of getting an exterminator because we had a little bit of something crawling in the house the past 10 days, and I went on the website of a highly recommended company, and I filled out their contact form, and that was 24 hours ago. It is now 3 p.m. next business day, and the phone has not rung, they have my email address, they should be looking for business, shouldn't an automated system have said, oh, we got a contact form filled out on our website, here's a person, here's a phone number, here's an address, a real name, let's, David, wouldn't you think that somewhere there'd be a little automation and a big company that would say, we have a lead, let's go get her, what do you think?
2: I would argue before David answers that question this is that, that, that can you be shouldn't done have now. filled out the email
0: this form. This is something that can be you, done now. You,
4: you should have be, had access to yeah. a bot. Yeah.
1: Yes. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Rather yes. than a
4: form, for sure.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yes. It, it, and and it is your, a little...
2: your experience as a customer would have been much better because you would have left with the confirmation of having an appointment. You would have created efficiencies on the company side because... They didn't have to have somebody open that form, look at the details, put it into a different system that then you know for the salesforce automation, et cetera, then follow up, and then you would get a phone call, et cetera I mean I'm not saying that the bot may not have had all the answers, but it should have had ninety percent of the answers and then when it when it was not okay, you know when you, when you get to the end of that um that that chain that thread, then it could have said, well, if you're not satisfied with this, would you like to contact us via email right so uh, i think, I think that's that's the progression that we need to see. So you're right about the automation and your frustration of not being contacted, but there's a whole nother way to approach that problem.
1: Yes, I think so. Anybody else have any comments on that one? Anybody want it's to chime the idea in there? That
4: the that the, yes. the, the web form that you have is almost the digital equivalent of the IVR system that you call into, right? Super structured, fairly, uh, puts the onus on you to provide all the information in a fairly cumbersome format. So the idea, and this is uh, quite common now, something called conversational commerce, where we could actually guide you into the information that we wanted to be able to actually schedule that appointment, not just have to get a call back, but to actually complete the activity that you intended to complete by by reaching out. So Sean's point's a great one. Uh, The conversational interface there would have been far, far superior. But I mean, this even reaches past this, is that should you have even had to go to a website, Right? If we look at the majority of yes. where people are spending their time now, they're almost entirely within messaging applications. So it's something like the top four most years, 80% of your time inside of your smartphone is spent within four, four applications generally, based off of some t- statistics that were fairly recent. And it's three of those, and in some locations, all four are messaging applications. So the question is, is do we need to go to a website or even a, even a, a specialized app for this business? rather than just go to the messaging places where we already are and have a conversation with this business that way.
2: Actually, I David go raises a, a good point. Go There's
4: some statistics that said that messaging apps have
2: surpassed social media platforms as the most used mm-hmm. apps. And the other day That's I had right. a problem where I needed to contact Verizon Wireless, and I went to their website and I asked for help, and they, they it, it and I did it from my mobile phone, and it switched yes. me over to Facebook Messenger. And I had customer service not from... Not from one person on the end of the thread, but three people on the end of the thread, because the conversation took took uh, followed my pace of availability. I was multitasking. I was doing other things, and uh, and they actually had because it tells you who's responding three different people respond to me with a level of continuity where I did not have to repeat all of my information and the problem that I was trying to solve. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Wouldn't that be a beautiful world, Sean? Wouldn't that be where we didn't have to repeat our information? Honestly, aren't we at that stage where we shouldn't have to enter it on a keyboard or on a phone and then have somebody say, and what is your phone number, and how long have you been a customer, and what city do you live in?
4: It's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: Very interesting. Sean, I owe you an apology. I was looking at David's notes and I attributed them to you and you were so gracious and answered my question and I want to thank you for that. And David is probably figuring, why is she giving Sean my notes here? I am so sorry. I just rarely, its that must be the holiday spirit. So we are just about ready for our crystal ball predictions round. But Sean, I did want to cover one thing in here that I found very interesting. You say from IT ops to business ops, enterprise automation can generally be applied to three areas, infrastructure automation, application automation, and business process, and there's a natural maturity curve. Can you just spend 60 seconds telling me about that and then give me your prediction right after that, Sean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, automation was uh, first applied to infrastructure. It's the first area to mature. It's the first area we speak with customers about um, about how to apply automation tools, including uh, including bots, um, to to do some of this work. Um, and then application automation is, we find that it's maturing quite rapidly, so the, the maintenance, sustenance, and feeding of and care of, of, of those applications and their existence, and, and particularly with cloud native uh, applications, a lot of mm-hmm. the dynamics uh, of how this works is changing um, uh, quite dramatically. Uh, and then business process automation, it, it tends to actually be the most difficult and the least mature. There are inherent complexities that kind of inferred, Hmm. uh, referred to previously, uh, that humans have built into their processes. You know, it's not. One sales order type in your ERP system. It's fifteen sales order types in your ERP mm-hmm. system, right? And once I get into one of those, I you know I have you know an, another ten exceptions and so on and so forth. And you map this all out. It's it is it can be incredibly um, complex. And so removing some of those complexities and and uh, being able to teach that to an um, RPA tool is really the trick, right? And and that's where the intelligence component comes into it. And so being able to leverage all the technologies that we talked about uh, before, and bringing those together is, uh, is what's needed to solve the automation uh, puzzle that business processes uh, represent in an enterprise.
1: Thank you very much. Sean, now I'm ready for you. 60 seconds. Give me your prediction. Philippe, you're on deck next, and we'll ask you for your prediction. Nothing political, just mm-hmm. RPA. What do you see coming up or down the pike, down the road? Give me your prediction, Sean Broderson. Go.
2: Um so we, we we really talked about it a little bit at the top of the hour and so maybe mm-hmm. I've come full circle the the, the prediction yeah. that I was thinking about is um I think in the next uh year to, to to you know 18 months we will see more companies for a certain segment of their workers adopt a say a 35-hour kind of work week um mm-hmm. as a benefit as a perk. You know, companies are competing as we know in 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 the U.S. uh, Unemployment is at four percent. I think David mentioned the comments about data scientists being you know in uh, shorts by a hundred thousand in the marketplace, and there's huge demand. and And companies are trying to compete in different ways. As we apply new automation tools like RPA, I think companies need to then reassess how do I leverage that freed up uh, resource. To and return some of that value to my employees, and so you know there are some countries in the world that are already doing those kinds of things. Uh, I believe Germany and France are are, are among them. Uh, U.S. is is uh, certainly not a an early leader in that concept, but you can find that several companies are already offering that. And uh, so I think these tools and technologies will lead to a change in uh, benefits and offering and, and sort of a. Uh, returning that value to employees instead of the enterprises keeping all the value themselves.
1: Thank you very much. Philippe Pooks, we have uh, 45 seconds for your prediction, and David Judge, you get ready because you're right after him. Go ahead, Philippe, predict quick, vite, vite, please. Yeah, uh,
3: I think that uh, we are just living the fourth revolution, the fourth industrial revolution. And the real fact is uh, computers before, they were just the machine the, in the Stone Age. Uh, The computer was just uh, some machine that were able to do math uh, calculation, And we are going towards years of intelligent machines. It's exactly like in industry. At the beginning, we just have machines that were really rough and they evolved towards smart machines. We need the same in the computer industry to go from machines that are able to make calculation to towards machines that are able to help work with predict and ease what we experience everywhere. Uh, when you look at computers, you have many applications. They don't discuss between uh, every application. So the, the people are forced to, to be the link between the applications. And we are going towards intelligent machines with intelligent software and ease of use of all of that. That's my Thank turn. you very
1: much. Thank you, Philippe. And David, 30 seconds. I'm almost out of time. Go ahead, please.
4: I think we'll have a new pact between machines, workers, and enterprises. And I think uh, Sean certainly mentioned part of what that change might be, and so did Philippe. The idea is is that machines will continue to do what they're best at and will actually allow them to do more of that. Right now, they're not allowed to do it yet because it hasn't been deployed as such. Workers will be focused on tasks they find uh, potentially uh, far more uh, fulfilling, uh, things that are humans are best at. And enterprises will try to interact with people and consumers in ways that hadn't been previously possible. And I think, secondly, ethics and the responsible uses of these technologies will come to the forefront across the next year. We are already Thank seeing you. in the news, and I think every business will have to pay very close attention to how they leverage data and these techniques as they start to automate these processes.
1: Thank you, David. We're out of time. I appreciate it. Ethics, a very, very important topic on all kinds of aspects of what we've been talking about today. Thank you to my three special guests. I'll do that in a second. A shout out to Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio, and to John Skitka and his team and Mateo for putting together this great panel. And I'll be back tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, with a new episode of Think Big Work, Small Talking, about how in the world are you doing your email marketing? You may not be doing it right. You want to tune in for tips and do's and don'ts. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Sean Broderson at HCL Technologies, just like Philippe Pooks at Contextor, and just like David Judge at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.